the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Grace and peace to you and welcome to Reaching for Real Life with Sean Azaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. A church that exists to help people just like you find the real life you were created for and find it to the full. And that's what Jesus promised in John 10, 10. And today we continue in a series that started on Easter Sunday called Awake. Did you know that God is working in ways you could never imagine? Even in those tough situations, God is at work all around you. Our assignment is to find out what God is doing and get on board. Pastor Sean will start off in Revelation chapter 3. The message is called, Awake to What God is Doing. You can follow along with the notes and discussion questions for your own Bible study on the sermon page as seen at reallife.org. It's time for Reaching for Real Life Radio. We began with this idea, a very simple idea. It says, resurrection is not a doctrine to be learned, it is a life to be lived. And because of just our faith, and because of the nature of resurrection, we can get caught up focusing on trying to prove, trying to deal with the history, trying to deal with all those things, and actually miss the fact that, wait a minute, this changes everything. If Jesus is actually alive, if our spirit is actually resurrected and made alive in him, that changes everything. Resurrection is not a doctrine that we just learn and memorize. There's truth about it that we learn. That's, that's true. But it is a life to be lived. It is something that should change everything for the life of a believer. Remember, we talked about how the resurrected life awakens me to the reality that God is in me and he's making me new. This idea of spiritual maturity, we do not have to continue getting beat up by the same things year after year. We don't have to have the same failures. We don't have to keep saying, why am I like that? I'm just stuck that way. It doesn't have to be static. In fact, it's not supposed to be. We're supposed to be growing and changing because of the spirit and presence of Jesus. I'll just say it this way. I don't think it's okay for a follower of Christ to be the same year after year after year and never grow. I think that's a problem. I think we're supposed to be growing more of the image of Jesus, more of his presence working in through us. If you have your Bibles, real quickly, I'm going to start in the book of Revelation. And it's funny, every time I say that, some people sit up straight, ooh, you're getting the good stuff now. He's getting a revelation. About time. <laughs> Just easy, okay? <laughs> I'm sorry. So many things flood into your head. I have to filter them out, filter them out. Revelation chapter 3. You remember what's happening here, okay? John is on the Isle of Patmos, and he has a vision of Jesus Christ. Jesus appears to him. And he speaks to him. He gives instruction, begins by giving instruction to some of the churches. And this is to the church of Stardust. He says to the angel, many people believe, interpret that that's the leader, the, the, kind of the, the, the leader, the, the overseer of the church there. To the angel of the church in Stardust, right? These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. Wake up. 
Strengthen what remains and is about to die. That's a hard idea. You have a reputation for being alive. In other words, the word is, you're filled with my spirit. The word is, you're actually alive in Christ. He says, but you're not, you're dead. And then we come to find out he's not, he's, he's saying, okay, it's, it's not as terminal as it seems. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. So it's almost like a princess bride thing. It's like mostly dead or something, okay? Well, I mean, it's like you, you are dead. What, he, what he's saying is you have this reputation for being alive, but understand reputation isn't what it's all about. He says there's a reality, and you have a serious problem. And he says you need to wake up. He says, I found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you've received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you'll not know at what time I will come to you. In other words, I'll come and you'll miss me. You'll miss the hour of my visitation. You'll miss the gift of my presence. See, I think it's possible for us if we don't understand the implications and the power of resurrection to go through life just taking input from what's coming in around us, thinking that these physical things, these material things, the stuff we read, the stuff we hear, the stuff that other people say, say that's all there is. And we miss this whole big reality of what God is doing. In fact, that's the title of today's message. Awake to what God is doing. How awake are we to the work of God all around us? How much are we aware of every moment of every day, the Spirit of God moving, working, breathing, hovering, speaking? Are we aware or are we kind of blindly going along thinking that whatever agenda the world has for us today, that's really all there is. I want to suggest to you that our vision of the world is a, an extremely important part of who we are. It informs everything about us. Our vision, how we see the world. It informs our thoughts, shapes our attitudes, our perceptions, and most importantly, it will direct our responses so how we see the world is a big deal. And so I started looking into some things, and I really didn't have to go that far to figure out, um, right now, people do not see the world very well, okay? They really don't. It seems like in the last number of years, it's dialed up to a different kind of temperature. There's always been some sense of, hey, you know, we live in a fallen, sinful world. There's a lot that's not going wrong. But people had a more balanced perspective, I think. I, I think in recent years, it's gotten, it's t- turned it's changed. Uh, Ronald Bailey wrote an article for Reason.com, and he quoted Alex Berezow, who is a senior biomedical fellow for the American Council of Science and Health. And he reports the depressing news that only 6% of Americans believe that all things considered, the world is getting better. And he really framed it in a, a different way, because getting better is obviously it's a matter of perception, and it can be somewhat relative. But through the course of the study and through the course of the different things they looked at, it's this idea of pessimism versus optimism. Only 6% of people have an optimistic outlook, an optimistic view. And what's interesting, he goes on to say the most optimistic people are the Chinese. 41% think that the future is bright. And, and they were the number one in the world in this study. UK Telegraph reported some things on this study. This was kind of a big study that a lot of different people kind of took off on. The most optimistic were the Chinese, where still 6 out of 10 
did not have a very bright view of the future. And what's interesting is while the U.S. was at 6%, some of our more prominent Western European friends, the U.K. was 4%, France, Germany, they were all less. It's actually the, what we would call first world nations were the most pessimistic. And the newer emerging economies, emerging nations were more optimistic. But still, most weren't very. He's citing data collated by Oxford economist Max Roser. And it was shared at a recent conference of eco-modernists. And the question is, why are so many people so pessimistic? Well, Roser suggested, well, they forgot how bad things really were, and they don't know how much progress is being made. And Berezow says this, and I think this will resonate with you. He says, the fact is, bad news sells. Anybody doubt that? Bad news sells. Good news does not. Proclaiming widespread misery is how politicians get elected and how most environmentalists get funded. These are scientists saying this, so they're, you know, taking a jab at themselves. And giving coverage to mass shooters is how newspapers are sold. Giving people a balanced perspective, which often includes, of course, a dose of good news, rarely excites anybody. It's tragic, but it's true. And we have to understand this before we we operate our filter of what we're seeing in the world around us. Bailey goes on, last year in my column, The End is Nigh, I reported similar dispiriting news from the Future Survey. He said a majority of people in that column, he wrote, he reported a majority of people, 54% surveyed in the United States, Canada, Australia, and the UK, believe there's a risk of 50% or more that our way of life will end in the next 100 years. And if that's your perspective, not only do you have a, a, a very dark view for your prospects, but how about your kids and grandkids? 25% of respondents in the same poll believe it's likely we'll go extinct in the next century. It's kind of dark. And here's what's interesting. Um, Americans were the most pessimistic in the group. We were the most pessimistic of the group. Giving, we said 57% of the Americans surveyed said our way of life will end in the next 100 years. 30% said we could go be extinct in the next century. And the younger respondents tended to be more pessimistic. How sad is that? And what's funny is Bailey writes that this pervasive pessimism kind of flies in the face of certain undeniable facts. Over the past century, the prospects and circumstances of most of humanity have spectacularly improved when you think about it. Depending on how you calculate it, world per capita gross domestic product has increased five, ten times since 1900. Average life expectancy more than doubled in the same period. And we live by comparison as far as when you think of world wars and think of major global conflicts, we live in a relatively peaceful time. And Bailey writes, I hold moderate intellectuals, fellow members of the scribbling classes, I like that, fellow members of the scribbling classes responsible for the cultural pessimism that has so engulfed so many affluent societies. Listen to this, hang with me for a minute because he quotes... 1982 article from the brilliant futurist Herman Kahn, and he published it called The Coming Boom. And he pleaded for an ideology of more progress and hopefulness. Listen to what he said. And this, this, you can understand this 35 years ago, 1982, he says, two out of three Americans polled in recent years believe that their grandchildren will not live as well as they do, i.e., they tend to believe the vision of the future that is taught in our school systems. Almost every child is told that we're running out of resources. We're robbing future generations when we use these scarce, irreplaceable, non-renewable resources in silly, frivolous, and wasteful ways. 
They believe that we are callously polluting the environment beyond control, that we are recklessly destroying the ecology beyond repair. That's how you can tell it was 35 years ago. Nobody uses that word anymore. That we are knowingly distributing foods which give people cancer and other ailments, but continue to do so in order to make a profit. And, and this is what Kahn says. He says it would be hard to describe a more unhealthy, immoral, and disastrous educated educational context, every element of which is either largely incorrect, misleading, overstated, or just plain wrong. What the school system describes, and so many Americans believe, is a prescription for low morale, higher prices, and greater, and I dare say unnecessary, regulations. And he says, no wonder the people who grew up in that environment are so pessimistic and so Negative. Now, I want to ask you, we're the church. What do you see when you look around? How do you feel after you kind of read the morning news? How many of you are actually, and you don't have to raise your hands on this, how many of you find yourself skimming the news because it's such a barrage of bad, depressing, dishonest, annoying news? What is it that you see? Do you see conflict, danger, anger, fear? Do you see greed? Let me ask you, do you see a world out of control? I wonder if we sometimes have that question. Who, who, who's in control of this? As we stop and think about it. Maybe you feel like the psalmist. Psalm 83. I'm going to begin reading at verse 1. Look at what the psalmist said. Oh God, do not remain quiet. Do not be silent and oh God, do not be still. You ever just wondered, God, just come down and open a can. God, when are you going to fix this? God, why don't you say something? Why don't you do something? And it's good to know that in the Bible, the writers said, God, don't remain quiet. Because they looked around and it just felt like, where's God in all this? Do not be silent. Oh God, do not be still. And, he, and, and now he goes on and tells why he's saying it. For behold, your enemies make an uproar. Those who hate you have exalted themselves. They make shrewd plans against your people and conspire together against your treasured ones. They've said, come and let us wipe them out as a nation that the name of Israel be remembered no more. For they've conspired together with one mind. Against you they make a covenant. The tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagrites, Gebal, Ammon, Amalek, Felicia, with the inhabitants of Tyre. Assyria has also joined with them. They've become a help to the children of Lot. And so the psalmist is going, all this is going bad. It just seems like everything is against us. The people of God seem to have their backs against the wall. Oh God, don't remain silent anymore. Ever felt that way? I think it's sometimes good to know we're not the only generation of God's people who felt like, man, what is going on? It's interesting. We're not the only people who felt that life in a sinful, broken world can sometimes almost feel like more than we can bear. And, and let's take a quick minute to quick remind minute you, you're, you're listening, listening to Radio to for, real, for life. real Life with Sean Azaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church, in this message called Awake to What God is Doing, which is available right now on the sermon page at reallife.org. Just look for the series called Awake. And while you're there, if you've been blessed by this teaching, your gift of any amount helps this radio ministry continue to help others. Just find the Give tab at reallife.org. And Pastor Sean Azaro, now an author, invites you to check out his brand new book. 
302 Books, a division of Salem Media Group, presents A Pilgrim's Guide to the Spirit-Filled Life, Rediscovering the Gift of the Spirit, authored by Sean Azaro, pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. Growing up in and around Pentecostal churches, I really learned to appreciate the role of the Spirit in the life of the believer, but I also saw what I considered to be imbalance and excess in some of our churches when it came to how we taught about the infilling. Now available at Amazon.com, Sean Azaro shares his most requested teaching and radio broadcast series in a devotional form, encouraging you to embrace the Spirit-filled life. I wrote in a devotional style to encourage readers to examine the Scripture with fresh eyes and make room for the Lord to speak about the role of the Spirit in our lives. The goal of the whole book is to simply make you hungry for more of the Spirit. Order your copy of A Pilgrim's Guide to the Spirit-Filled Life by Sean Azaro today at Amazon or reachingforreallife.org. And now back to the message, Awake to What God is Doing. This is Reaching for Real Life Radio. Peter, in his epistle, and I would ask you to get your Bibles and be sure and look this up. First Peter 2, I want you to see this in your own copy of Scriptures. You can check it out on the app. Peter addresses some people who are feeling exactly the same thing. Now remember, Peter is writing from Rome when he writes his epistle, his letter. Somewhere around 62, 64 AD is what most scholars is about the time frame he was writing. He's writing to persecuted Christians and churches in Asia Minor. Okay, so they're dispersed. They're not by the hub, but they're out in the outer outposts of the Christian church, so they feel alone. They wonder if anybody knows they're there. They're facing real persecution, okay? I'm not talking about people calling you bad names or writing untrue things about you. I'm talking about persecution. And so Peter writes to them, 1 Peter 2, beginning of verse 11. He says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. He's saying, I know you're living among unbelievers. I know you're living among people who don't believe the way you do. He says, but live differently that they may see and glorify God. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. Listen, to every human authority, whether to the emperor as a supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Now, what's fascinating when you read that, you see hear him say, proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. It's all good. Honor the emperor. Well, that's sometimes hard. Do you know who the emperor was in 62, 64 AD? Nero. Nero. You know, crazy Nero. Remembered as one of the most brutal and sadistic emperors of all. And he's saying, honor the emperor. It's like, how can he possibly say that? How is it possible that he says that in those times? How can he encourage people to live as though things are okay when the emperor is Nero? And I, I got to tell you, some of you maybe think that President Obama was like Nero. Okay? Let me just tell you, if you do, you've never studied Nero. And some of you believe that President Trump is way worse than Nero. In fact, 
in the course of looking at this, I, of course, was able to find someone who was comparing Trump to Nero and had a picture of Nero with Trump's face on it. So I thought about bringing that to show you, but I didn't want to give it the time. If you think President Trump is worse than Nero, you don't know anything about Nero. And we're going crazy and we're rebelling and the big resist movement, all this stuff against President Trump. Many people were going crazy against President Obama as though it's the end of the world. And, and Peter's writing about Nero, you know, honor the emperor. Love the family, believers, fear God, and honor the emperor. Submit yourself to those authorities. It's like, I, I, I can't even process that. We're Americans. We don't do that. Maybe we should stop and say we're Christians. And yes, we do. It's one of those pieces that you, how can he say that? Well, I want to tell you, he's going to answer that for us. Flip over in your Bible to 1 Peter 3, and we'll pick up at verse 8. Because he wraps up this part of the conversation. And he says this way, finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. We could all say, excellent. Easier said than done, but excellent. Do not repay evil with evil in a world full of evil. Do not repay insult with insults in a world full of insults. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. And now he's quoting, he's quoting from Psalm 34. He says, for whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. Why? For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. That is 1 Peter 3, verse 12. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. How can you say, honor the emperor? How can you say, just love? How can you say, don't return evil for evil or insult for insult? How can you say that in this world that we live in? He says, well, I can say it because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Some of you need to memorize this verse. And good news, he's quoting from Psalm 34. So if you memorize this, you're actually memorizing two verses. So you're kind of getting leverage right there, right? Okay, so that's good. You got that going. But seriously, some of, this is why we should see the world differently, right there. And Peter's talking to people under Nero, persecuted, alone, hanging on by a thread. And he's telling them, you can live for Christ. You can win. You can be overcomers. Because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. He sees you. His ears are attentive to your prayers. He's listening. But the face of the Lord is against those who are evil. You mean they're not going to win? You mean they're not going to have the final day? Not when the face of the Lord is against them. See, if you're taking notes, I want you to write something down. And it's this. The resurrected life awakens me to see God at work all around me. This series is called Awake. And one of the things we need to wake up to is the fact that God is at work all around us. The resurrected life awakens me to see God at work all around me. Everywhere we go, we need to awaken to the presence of the Lord. His spirit is everywhere. You know that, right? That's what omnipresence means. It's not like God is somewhere, you know, 
obviously in the Bible Belt somewhere, but we don't know where. And, you know, he kind of moves through like a tour. No, he's omnipresent. He is here right now. The presence of the Lord is here. Did you know tomorrow when you're going to work, instead of just going, oh, God, why, God, do you punish me this way? How could you do this to me, this godless environment? Instead of that, you can walk in tomorrow into the office, into the plant, into wherever you work, and say, God is here, and you will be actually empirically accurate and right. He is there. And that should change things. That should change how you see things. That should change how you perceive everything around. You see, God's Spirit is everywhere. His fingerprints are everywhere. One of the sad things, that's why the Scripture over and over says, wake up, you're missing it. We miss the handprint, the fingerprint of God on people, on circumstances, on culture. We talk about eyes of faith. Eyes of faith are those eyes that kind of see the world, and they see everything here, and they know it's all real. They know this material stuff is real. They're not denying it. But, but they also see that it's not all that's real. Eyes of faith see everything that's happening in light of the reality of God's presence and the conviction of his power. It's like, oh, that looks different. Yes, that is a bummer of a situation. I'm not lying. I'm not in denial here. That is a bummer of a situation. That's pretty crummy. But it's not all I see because I look up and, oh, but God's here. And that situation doesn't get to have the final word. That person doesn't get to have the final word. How different the world looks when you see it through the lens of his abiding presence, when you look through eyes of faith. That's Pastor Sean Azaro. You've been listening to Reaching for Real Life Radio. And if you'd like to hear this full message called Awake to What God is Doing, it's available right now on demand at reallife.org. And while you're there, we'd appreciate your feedback. You can leave us a note on our Contact Us page. Or even better, your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue. Find that Give tab at reallife.org. But of course, you're invited to visit and join us at River City Community Church, located on Lookout Road right behind Rotama Park, next to the Real Life Amphitheater. If you'd like to call the church, the number is 210-490-5262, as Reaching for Real Life Radio is a service of River City Community Church. We hope you join us again next time as you travel the road to real life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.